What did the apostles give us that they still testify even now and today? That's the word. The word, the scriptures, right? So, for example, we talked about who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. Luke, with the help of who? Um, Timothy? Yeah, the Holy Spirit, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely the Holy Spirit. What's that? Eyewitness accounts, and he's Paul's companion. So this is Paul, Luke, who have interviewed and talked to the eyewitnesses, and everything they're writing down is what they have heard from these eyewitnesses. Okay? And there's interesting things that um, tell us this is a true eyewitness account. Did we talk about the road to Emmaus at all? No. No? Okay. This is, uh, Jesus rises from the dead on Easter, and um, they, they discover his body is not in there. And these two people are talking about it while they're walking on the road to Emmaus, which is about an eight, nine mile walk. Okay? So they're walking on their way to the road, uh, way to Emmaus, and they're talking about these things. And then this other guy shows up and starts talking with them too while they're walking. And the other guy says, didn't you know that this is what the scripture said, that the Messiah had to die and then rise again? And then that guy, they get to where they're going, and they all sit down together, and that guy breaks bread, and all of a sudden they look at him and say, what? It's Jesus. This is Jesus. This is a personal account of what happened on Easter. And how we know it's true also is kind of an interesting thing, because on the road to Emmaus, this is what it says. Um, one of them was named Clopas, but we don't know the name of the other one. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Because if you were making up the story, what would you say? These two guys. You would, you would either give the names of both or of none, but they only give the name of one of them, Cleopas. Why is that? Who did Luke talk to about this story? Who, who would have known that sort of event took place? Jesus. Jesus, yeah. And also? John. Cleopas. Cleopas. Oh. Okay. So where did Luke get that story from? Cleopas. Cleopas said, yeah, we know Jesus rose from the dead because he talked to us on Easter evening. First, I don't know how long Jesus walked. Three mile walk. Jesus talked to us. That's how we know it's true. So they are eyewitnesses, and they're going to preach and teach their eyewitness account uh, throughout all the world. Beginning in Jerusalem, spreading to Judea, and then expanding that a little more as Samaria, and then to all the ends of the world. That's what they're going to do. Okay? Now, that's what the apostles are going to do when Jesus ascends. Why, then, does Jesus ascend? <coughs> this is uh, letter D. He's done with his work on earth. Okay, tell me what you mean. I don't, I don't disagree, but I think there's more to it than that, too. <laughs> He's given the disciples information to pass on about him that they've witnessed. And specifically what information? His resurrection. Okay, yeah, his, 
life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. And that's the part of his work that's done, right? So his life, death, and resurrection is completed and done. Does that mean, though, and here's where my, my question was, does Jesus stop working, according to what we read already in the first part of Acts? No. No, he's still at work, just in a different way. How's he work now? Through the Word. Through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, which is attached to the Word. And, and what other things do we attach to the Word that God works in? Yeah, baptism, where the Word and water are combined to wash away our sins and clothe us, and clothe us, whew, clothe us in Christ's righteousness. Third time I'll get it. Uh, what other thing? Sacrament. The sacrament of the altar, where bread and wine and God's Word are attached, and that brings forgiveness, life, and salvation. So in these things, Jesus is still at work in the world. And he's going to do that through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the apostles, as they go out into all these places in the world. Okay? Uh, and I, um, what other thing is Jesus doing for us now that he's ascended? Intercedes for us. Intercedes. He intercedes for us. What does that mean? He's like our go-between, like a mediator. Um, I like mediator, right? So... <sighs> God is up in heaven, and he looks down on the vicar. Right? And what do I think about the vicar, God says. Now, if we go back to the book of Job, who's sitting there talking to God also? In the book of Job, Satan does. And Satan says, well, vicar's okay, but he sins X, Y, and Z. Right? And the other letters, too. <laughs> okay? But with the death and resurrection of Jesus, and right before Jesus dies and rises, he says, I see Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Jesus dies to forgive the vicar of his sins. He rises from the dead to declare that that has happened, and the vicar gets to live forever. And now he ascends and he sits at the right hand of God. And when God looks at vicar, Jesus says, I died even for the vicar. Hmm. That's the interceding idea. He's telling God that his blood counts for all of us. Okay? All right. Um, Pastor, yes. I have a, a question about that. Yes. So we read in the small catechism that uh, in, I believe it's the, what do they call it, the... the or the introduction, the one before the first petition, where it says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The explanation says that, you know, God invites us to ask him, as dear children, ask their dear father. How do we kind of reconcile that idea of that we go directly to God the Father with the idea that Jesus is the mediator and, you know, the Holy Spirit is also another type of helper, or, you know, the Bible calls it a paraclete. Yep. How do we reconcile this idea that, you know, we oftentimes pray in the name of Jesus, but we go directly to the Father? Well, we, there's more too, even. Uh, so, for example, I think Romans 8 says, the Spirit intercedes for us in our weaknesses, right? With groanings too deep for words. 
So all these things are going on, and it's really complicated for us to think about because, first off, our God is Trinitarian, which makes it beyond our comprehension. But additionally, why is God your father, Vicar? Because he says so. <laughs> okay? He's just, though, right? Everything. So, when you told him where to go in Christian love, right? Um, what, what allows you to still be his son despite your sin? Uh, the interceding acts of Jesus. The interceding acts of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, which also then are applied to you how? Through baptism. Through baptism, where you are clothed with the robe of Christ's righteousness, so that when God looks at you, he sees exactly what Jesus is telling him, that you are covered by his blood. And this was given to you in baptism. And one of the things we talk about, too, with baptism is we say, in the waters of baptism, you are adopted into God's family. So now you're able to talk to God directly because of what Christ has done for you. And so all these things are happening at the same time. Does that kind of yeah. help some? Did I answer? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, yeah. so if you pray to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit know about it. Um, yeah, that's, I would say... When you pray to one without praying to the other. Yeah. You, you, you can. I would say... What are, you, what are the words that you're saying and well, in your prayer? I'm, I'm praying that, that God will work within the, the Christian congressman to do the right thing. In a Christian congressman to do the right thing? And, and that they would use the wisdom that they have been blessed with that is available from God. So I say God knows that when you pray that. Yeah. So should I pray the Holy Spirit for him to act? I think as it's good for us to pray to God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to make sure we're acknowledging the God that we're talking to. Get them all. Now, if you say, <laughs> Dear Father, you're still praying to God, does Jesus know that from his divine nature? Absolutely. It, it's complicated, I'd say. So he's not I, I don't think we need to dis make distinction in our prayers. No, he knows it, but he's not necessarily taking responsibility for it. I, <laughs> I don't want to say that either, Ken. Okay. That, that's, that's human terms. Human understanding. Right. I understand. I think the thing that we need to do in our prayers is to pray to God. We pray the Lord's Prayer to God the Father. Uh, we pray many of our prayers in the divine service. We end it with, uh, through God the Father, uh, how do we say it? Um, all these things we ask uh, in the name of the Father, through Jesus Christ, His only Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever, right? I think I muffled that there too. But we pray Trinitarian as much as we can. And I would, I would say, even when we say, 
the Our Father, it is implying the Trinity just in the very nature of how God is our Father because Christ is our brother through the waters of baptism. Okay. All right. Yes, Tim. I don't know if this is going to make it more complicated or simpler, but uh, <laughs> I mean, don't say it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the Scripture does use the word Father to refer sometimes to the person of God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, and sometimes it uses it simply to refer to God, the whole Trinity. And so, I guess which person we're supposed to pray to is not something that should be a huge concern of ours. It's just that, that's yeah. I think that's what I'm trying to say. I don't want us to make distinctions, right? I I know we pray our Father or. Um, it's, it's not always the best way to pray, but people sometimes say, you know, Father God, right? When we're talking to God, we're talking to God, and God knows, and if we try to get inside the Trinity and divvy things up in our own minds, I think that is beyond what we're given. We, we aren't given to see in the Trinity beyond how God teaches us about it. And so we have to be careful with that. Is that fair? That's why I don't want to make statements where where scripture is silent on this. Okay. Where were we? Oh. <laughs> Jesus ascended. Uh, and we also need to talk about then um, what do we say about Christ when he ascends into heaven? Sits at the right hand. He sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. You say that in the creed, right? What is the right hand? Powerful. Yeah, it's so if you think um, back in the ancient world, it's hard for us because we live in the United States and we're a democracy, right? Where we think we all have um, equal authority and power. Nobody sits above us. If you think go back into the old days in the Middle Ages, in the ancient world, where there was a king. Or have you seen the Lord of the Rings movies? No. Okay? Some of you have. In the Lord of the Rings movies, there's Theoden, who sits on the throne, and then right next to him sits his head honcho advisor. Or uh, in the same movie, um, there's the high throne that the king of Gondor is supposed to sit on, and then there's the lower throne where the advisor sits, Denethor. Or in Aladdin, the sultan sits on the throne, and Jafar is his advisor, who sits at his right hand. And the guy on the right hand, um, it's, it's kind of like the mafia, right? The mafia boss never gets arrested because he always tells someone else to tell someone else to murder someone, right? Isn't that the way it works, Barb? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I watched the God. Okay. There you go. But the Godfather never gets arrested because he right. tells his consulary, right? Right. Um, to go and knock the people off. So you can never trace it back to them. They have the right-hand man who acts his things out. But then also tell him, and the Godfather's a good example too, because um, someone's coming in to see the Godfather, and the consulary says, uh, 
this is so-and-so, and he's going to talk to you about this. So he holds all the power and does what the, the chief guy wants. And in that sense, too, God, the Father, has Christ at his right hand. And again, we have the Trinity, so we have to think of this in Trinitarian terms. Jesus is in the place of power. He's able to carry out the work of salvation. He's to tell God that we're saved. And, and that's kind of a complicated thing, but again, that's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Now, to bring this whole ascension thing to an end, so we can move on to this week's sheet. Not only does Jesus go up into heaven, but what is he promising to do, according to these angels? He will return in the same way that you saw him go. What is that telling us? That he's, that he's coming back, what, what's the thing, how do we talk about this in the church? We call it the last day, okay, the second coming of Christ. He's coming back. He will descend from heaven with the cry of the command uh, and the voice of the archangels and the sound of the trumpet of God. And what's he coming back to do? Okay, he's going to get us, take us back to heaven. Um, let's say he comes in a hundred years. What's he got to do before he takes us? Raise the dead. Raise the dead, right? So he's going to come back. He's going to have all the dead people wake up. And that's all of them. And then those who have faith in him, along with those who were alive at that time and have faith in him, He's going to take them, body and soul, to the new heaven and new earth. And what's, what happens to the rest? They go to hell. They go to the eternal judgment, to uh, hell where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the worm does not die. That's my least favorite one. Uh, the worm does not die. Right? It makes me think of my childhood. You sing the song, the worms crawled in, the worms yeah. crawled out. <laughs> Imagine that forever and ever being consumed in that way. Uh, and it makes sense because where do we get all the stuff we have? From God. And if we're in a place where God is not, which is kind of the definition of hell, all the stuff that we have is not going to be given us. Okay. That's the ascension. Any questions on that um, before we move to the two today's sheet, session three? Are you not going to talk about Matthias? It's on the top of the session oh. three sheet. It's on session three. Yep. I need session three. Yes, it is. Yes, and that's what we're, the, the judgment uh, on the last day. So when he gets everybody up out of the grave, that's the dividing, and he'll divide to take the Christians with him into heaven and to send the non-Christians to their eternal damnation. Yes, that's the sheep and the goats is the way um, the Gospel of Matthew talks about it. Because they are there. 
your sins are all put before every everyone is supposed to be able to see the evil that you did In some of the epistles, it talks about how on the last day all of our sin will be made known. At the same time, as Christians, what do we know about all of our sins? They're forgiven. I don't think that it pertains to the Christian. It's just the other. I don't want to hear that. Yeah. I don't. I think it applies to all. At the same time, the blood of Christ covers our sin and. The only unforgiven sin, only unforgivable sin, on the last day when Christ comes to judge the world is what? If you're going to hell, it's because of one thing. You don't believe in Jesus Christ. Christ. You deny faith in Christ. Okay? All the rest of sin, every bit of it, covered by the blood of Jesus. And there won't be any doubt when Jesus comes. There won't be any doubt. Don't, don't listen to the guys on TV that say end is going to be. It's always October twenty first. All their calculations. I know that because that's my mom's birthday. <laughs> I would say October twenty first. The world is going to come to an end. Send me a thousand dollars so that you can guarantee your spot. Don't do it. Don't do it. If you're thinking about doing it, give me the thousand dollars. I'll spend as much money as Don't believe those things. You will know when Christ comes back. You will hear the trumpet. You will see the people rising from the dead. Okay? And there will be no question about it. Until then, we look forward to it. Is it a bad day for us when Christ returns? No. 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 In faith in Christ, it is not a bad thing. It is, um, we're on the winning side. It's good that Jesus is coming back. Okay. Well, when, when people are raised from the dead, the Christian, if they're Christian, their spirits are already in heaven. Do their spirits have to come back and join the, the bodies? In the yes. And they will be coming with Jesus. I know we think about it in a lo uh, location type of way. We don't necessarily need to. We, we can't understand the way everything is going to work. But our soul, when we die, when we die, what happens? Our body and our soul are separated. And God takes our soul to be with Him and await the day of resurrection. We see some of them pictured in Revelation chapter 7 under the altar, the souls of those who have been martyred. And our body, hopefully, our friends and family here will take care of our body, putting it someplace to wait for the resurrection. Um, even if it's not, right? If, say, um, say I die because I'm eaten by a bear, 
right? And they can never find my body. Or we just remembered 9-11, right? How many people did they not find their bodies? Does God know where it is? Yes. God going to take care of it on the resurrection day. He's going to, resurrection day, the soul and the body that were separated, God's going to put back together. So that body and soul, we will be with him in his kingdom forever. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, if you're concerned that you're going to be, like, somehow leaving heaven in order to be re reunited with your body, remember that the resurrection also encompasses the whole new heavens and new earth. And so the resurrected creation is going to be part of heaven. You're not going to be coming down to this old earth in that sense, if that, if that makes any sense. And even I'd say the better definition of heaven is wherever God is. Yeah. Since he's there coming down here. In that sense, we'll be all right. Yeah, that confused me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. Yeah, really, because I thought the new, new earth was going to be later. I thought we were going to spend some time in the current heaven. But he's saying that all transcends what? at the same time. What is going to happen is, um, first off, let's not think of heaven as a place. Like, I know we talk about it that way, right? But heaven is wherever God is. Okay? So our soul will be with God. Or, uh, as it says in the, the Gospel of Luke, that Abraham's bosom. Or we sing that in the psalm, too, right? Uh, Lord, let last thy angels come to Abraham's bosom, bear me home. Right? That our soul will be with God. And wherever God is, that really is heaven. Which is the same thing we, we talked about on Sunday morning. When we have church and God is present, even though we're here in the sinful world, we are heaven on earth. Okay? On the last day, the world, though, which is the creation, all the creation, God is going to destroy with fire because of its sin. And he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. But when he's saying a new heaven and a new earth, he's reflecting the language that is in Genesis, where God created the heavens and the earth. And when he's talking about the heavens, he's talking about all the stuff that's up there, the sun, the moon, the sky, the stars. And when he's talking about earth, he's talking about all the stuff down here. So he's going to make a new heavens and a new earth that will be perfect again, and that's where we're going to live with God forever. But does it all happen at the day of judgment? Yes. Yep. Now, when we die, say I die today, between today and Christ's second coming, my soul will be with God, and my body will be out uh, west of Lincoln, unless I'm eaten by bears. Okay. <laughs> I don't know where it'll be. Okay. Good questions. All right. Yeah, I don't know if you're referring to the idea that's popular among American Christians called the uh, the rapture. No. Okay. I don't believe in the 
But no, yeah, your your resurrection from the dead and the new heavens and the new earth, that's all judgment day right at the same time. Yeah, I didn't realize that. That's the new concept. All right. Good news. Good news. <laughs> Good news. Um, session three sheet. We're going to start there with the call of Matthias. Um, remember uh, point number one there as we're reading the book of Acts we are looking for the means of grace baptism of the Lord's Supper and the preaching of God's word I want to keep reminding you of that so it's in the back of your head so that when we get to, to the day of Pentecost and things like that we will know what to look for we're going to start though talking about the office of pastor and the process by which a person becomes a pastor and serves in the church because it teaches us about that here in Acts chapter 1. So let's start by reading verses 12 through 14. I don't remember where we left off, so... Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they, were up, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were... Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelot, and Judah, son of James. All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. All right, so here we have a list of the apostles that are left. Okay, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, uh, Simon, and Judas. Okay, and those are the apostles that are going to go out into all the world. But as you all know, one of them is missing, and who is that? Judas. Judas Iscariot. Okay, and what happened to Judas Iscariot? Hanged himself. Hanged himself. He died. He killed himself. Okay. Now. When Jesus was preaching and teaching, how many apostles had he called? Twelve. Twelve. Why twelve? Have you ever thought about that? It's because twelve is one of God's favorite numbers, along with three, along with seven, I think along with ten also, although that was not as popular as twelve, three, and seven. Okay? And so, um, let's look at some of the places in Scripture and see why there should be twelve apostles. All right, so let's, somebody look up Genesis 35, 22, um, and the C there means um, just the third sentence, okay? Somebody else can look up Genesis 49, 28. Uh, somebody else look up Luke 8, 1 through 2. Now the sons of Jacob were 12. Now the sons of Jacob were 12, okay? All right, how about Genesis 49? All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, and those 12 tribes descend from who? The 12 sons of Israel. Jacob. Jacob, right, Israel, okay? All right, and um, how about Luke 8, 1 through 2? Soon afterward he went 
went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Okay. Now I, I told you before that God is a Lutheran. Okay, and he's not just a Lutheran; he's a German Lutheran because he's super organized. <laughs> right? How, how many of you guys are full-blooded Germans? Anybody? No. Okay. Do you know any full-blooded Germans? I yeah. think I do. Okay. My wife is full-blooded German. She puts something down where it goes. She's everything is organized for her. I'm I'm a mutt, so um, like um, if I don't if I don't put my toothbrush in the right spot, she'll set where it goes. Even you know what I mean? That's Germans. That's the way God is. In the Old Testament, twelve tribes from Jacob receiving the promise of the Savior, which was given to Adam, to Noah, uh, passed down to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now to the twelve sons of Jacob, that in their midst the Savior would be born. And now on the other end of Jesus, how many apostles are there going to be preaching the message of Jesus, the promise of a Savior fulfilled? How many? Twelve. Twelve, because God is organized like that. And he wants, he does these things to draw our attention. Twelve Old Testament tribes, twelve apostles in the New Testament times, so that everything fits perfectly and orderly. Yes? You keep saying apostles. Now, Jesus called the twelve disciples. Yes. I always thought apostles were a more... That he, it was more of an outreach from the disciples, that there were more apostles. We're going to talk more about that. The quick answer is they're from two different words. Disciples is our English translation of the Greek word mathetes, which means learner. And so someone who is learning is a mathetes, they're a disciple. Okay? Whereas the word apostle comes from a different word, apostello, which means to send out. And so when Jesus ascends into heaven and he says to the eleven, and we're going to see what happens with that, go out and preach the word in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. When he's sending them out to do that, we switch from calling them the twelve disciples to the twelve apostles. And where we're headed is to learn how God is going to make that twelve number whole through the, the, um, the calling of the new apostle. So that's, that's the distinction. They are the same people, generally. Okay, so it, the group doesn't expand after that to be called apostles, or not? Well, there's always there's there's no the there's the twelve apostles. There is Paul who is an apostle, but I think Paul doesn't count towards the twelve because Paul's the apostle to who? The Gentiles. The Gentiles primarily, so it's a little bit different, but it's the same. We'll get there. We have a lot of chapters to get through before we talk about Paul, <laughs> but they're the same same people. And there are the apostles, 
Um, and those are the eyewitness testifiers that we've talked about. Before the ascension and after the ascension. Before, yes. And in the Gospels, before the resurrection and the ascension, we call them disciples. And afterwards, we call them apostles. They're the same people. Okay. Um, why should there be 12? Authority of the office. Let's look at Matthew 10 and Luke 9. Matthew 10 and Luke 9. 10 1. Matthew 10 1. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Ken, since you're there too, would you also read then verse 5? Verse 5? Yes. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans. Okay, so, we have the twelve disciples, and he gives them authority over unclean spirits, to cast them out, and to heal every disease and every affliction. Now how do the twelve, how are they going to do that? Primarily. We're Lutherans here, we can say it. By preaching God's Word and by Holy Spirit. the work of the Holy Spirit through them. Okay? And that's still the same way today. That's the thing that we have that Satan can't fight against, is God's Word. Okay? He tries. He twists and changes. Okay? But the twelve have the authority given to them to do that. And then I have to read verse 5 because that's that part there. These twelve, the disciples, Jesus sent out. And the word there is uh, apostello. Uh, it's a different form of it in the Greek here. It's in the infinitive form. But it is that word, he sends them out. And that's why we start to call them apostles also. Okay. Um, Luke 9. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and cure diseases. And he, sent, what? Go ahead. and he sent them out, by the way, in the Greek, that is that same word again. Yep. Uh, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Okay, so again, now we have the twelve given authority. Okay, now what is authority? Power of God. Okay, in a sense it's power, but it's power that derives itself from some other place, right? In the church, it derives itself from God. But even when we talk about politics, okay? Now, I'm not talking about, I don't want to get into party politics. But the president has authority to launch nuclear missiles. Where does he get that authority? From us. From us. We elect him, and we have that power, and we give him the authority to operate within that, to use the power for us, which is good, because then Barb, um, in her, you know, mafia ties, can't launch <laughs> nuclear missiles, okay? Well, I am from Chicago. You are from Chicago, that's why I was thinking. <laughs> um, but it's not American. The authority 
of the office of president is able to do that. The authority of the office of congressman uh, that, that Ken was talking about has the uh, ability to make laws, to vote on them. Um, the authority of the Supreme Court has the ability to judge those laws, whether they fall into place or not. Okay? That's the way it's supposed to work. Every office in our government has particular authority, and they're supposed to all balance each other out. Right? That's how it's supposed to work. In the same thing, Jesus is giving the 12 apostles authority. And in that, he's putting them in the office of apostle. And they're sent out then to preach and teach and heal and do those things. That's the authority of the office. And so he gives that to the 12. Okay? All right. Let's... Uh, Questions about that? Does that make sense? That's this is part of our challenge, politically speaking, is when people are doing what is not in their office authority to do. Right? Okay. Whatever side of the aisle you're on, I think we can all see that because we both be mad at the other side every time they're in power because they don't do what's actually the authority they have. All right. First Corinthians. 15. Uh, this is number 3 there. Underneath the words authority of office. 1 Corinthians 15.5. And 1 Corinthians 15 is the great resurrection chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. It is the resurrection chapter. Okay? We're going to talk about why these 12 are apostles. He was seen by Cephas, and then he appeared to the twelve. Now, there's a challenge with this verse, because um, who was it that told me what happened to Judas? What happened to Judas? He killed himself. He killed himself. But Paul says he appeared to... Well, how is that? See, some people will say, aha, Christians, look. No, it says Matthias. Okay, Matthias. This is where we're headed, and I, I don't know if we'll get there. They're going to place a new man into the office of apostle to give him authority like the other 11 have. Who is an eyewitness? As Paul says, Jesus appeared alive even to this guy. Okay? Judas hung himself before Christ resurrected. Resurrected Jesus never appeared to Judas. Um, Paul is counting Matthias already. And that's where we're headed to learn about Matthias. Okay. 12. Uh, and we, we don't necessarily have to read all these, but even in the book of Revelation, we have this idea of 12, right? Where there are um, 24 people sitting before the throne of God in heaven. 
Okay. Why 24? It's 2 times 12. 2 times 12. Why might there be <coughs> taking 12 times 2? We have the 12 Old Testament tribes and their patriarchs. And so before God's throne, the 12 are representing all the people who believed in the Old Testament times. And you have the 12 apostles representing all the people who believe in the New Testament time, and they're all there before the throne of God. So again, we see this idea of 12 being one of God's favorite numbers. Now, what we have to do, though, is also talk about, are there still apostles today? Because there is a church body, if you can call it a church, that believes there are still apostles. Anybody know what church that is? What's that? Oh, you're so close. Mormons. The Mormons, yeah. The Mormons. Do they? Okay. There's a bunch of charismatics. The Okay, yeah. The Mormons do in Utah, Salt Lake, they have a group of 12 people who they call apostles who make decisions for them. Okay? They are not apostles because they are not what? They are not eyewitnesses of Jesus or his resurrection. They're not apostles because they're not actually Christian. They don't believe in the Trinity. They don't believe, really, in the two natures of Christ because their theology eliminates any discussion of that. Um, and they don't actually preach God's word. It's the 12 apostles and Mormonism who have done things like said, well, Joseph Smith said it was really good to have a lot of wives, but we want to become a state, and the federal government won't let us become a state if you can have more than one wife. So, oh, God told me you only have one wife now. Okay? Or their theology taught that the reason there were different races is that because before, when they were just spirits floating around, some spirits rebelled against God, and so God made them darker skinned. Okay? And they taught that from the 1800s all the way up until the 1960s. What happened in the 1960s? Because their theology was people with dark skin are bad. That's Mormon theology up until the 60s. What happened in the 60s to change that? Civil rights. Civil, rights. Civil rights movement. And all of a sudden, the 12 apostles had a vision. We should probably be equal opportunity. We don't want to put people with dark skin down anymore. Okay? So, are there 12 apostles? We've, we've said that the Mormons don't have it. What about Christians? Are there 12 apostles today? I mean, primarily, is what Claire said. Is there anyone alive today who has seen the life, ministry, and death of Jesus? No. Only in the Bible. Only through what the original apostles wrote down. There are no apostles today. That office does not exist anymore. What office is there? Pastors. Pastors. Okay? Which are, we do a lot of the same things. We witness. But my witness is not based on what I have seen. It is based on what God's Word teaches and says. 
Okay? All right. Let it be. All of these, the twelve, that God had chosen to put into this office of authority called apostle, were with one accord, with, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. We have to ask the good Lutheran question, what does it mean that they are devoting themselves to prayer? Okay? They're Lutherans, just like you and me. Okay? And Luke, when he says they devoted themselves to prayer, he says this a couple times throughout the book of Acts, what does he mean? When do we, together, devote ourselves to prayer? When we go to church. Okay? When we gather together and receive God's gifts. And this is Luke writing, and remember last week or two weeks ago, we talked about Luke is liturgical. He's the one who writes down the hymns that the church still sings, right? He's the one who writes down, Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace. Sound familiar? Okay. Luke is liturgical, so he's talking about, he says, the church, the twelve, only at eleven so far, and the ladies, they still got together, and they were all one accord, and they devoted themselves to having church. Okay? So already, before we even get really going with the work of the Holy Spirit in their preaching and teaching, the church is Lutheran in the sense that they really like having worship. They really like having divine service. They devote themselves to it. And we do too, don't we? We have it on Sunday, twice. And we have it on Wednesday. And I know last year because of COVID we weren't able to do it. During Lent we have it twice on Wednesday, just to make good and serve and serve. How many times do we have it on Easter? Three times. We like having church. We devote ourselves to gathering together to pray. All right. Trying to decide if we should delve into the next section here with five minutes left or open it up for any questions on anything. Maybe we'll do questions here.
in that regard. Now, we still have people in the New Testament, we'll see it in Acts, who prophesy, which means they're speaking God's word. One of the uh, important ones that we'll look at is one of them prophesied that there was going to be a famine. And oh, by the way, there was during the reign of Claudius. But the Christians were all ready for it because they knew about it ahead of time through the, the preaching of this guy. But they're not apostles because they are not eyewitness testifiers about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. They're probably more like our pastors are today. Except pastors today don't point forward as much. I know we just talked about the end of the world. <laughs> but what do I primarily point to? Jesus. Back to Jesus. Other questions? All right, we're going to pause there then because I think we want to talk about pastors and the call process and what the requirements for being a pastor and how you become a pastor because the book of Acts teaches us a great deal about that with the call of Matthias to begin with as well as some other people later on. So let's close with the Lord's Prayer and then we'll pick up there with letter, letter three, number three, uh, there at the bottom. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into 